The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight, we delve deep into the unknown, into a world that's been a source of fascination, mystery, and intrigue for countless enthusiasts. We're setting course into the enigmatic realm of UFOs, exploring tales of high strangeness and extraordinary encounters. Buckle up as we embark on a thrilling journey, seeking answers and unraveling the mysteries that have captivated the imaginations of many. Joining us is a distinguished figure in the world of ufology, Philip Mantle. His journey, marked by passion and curiosity, began in 1980 with the Yorkshire UFO Society. Investigating a UFO landing in Normanton, West Yorkshire, Philip's pursuit of the truth was affirmed, and a lifelong interest in UFOs, particularly landing cases, was ignited. Philip's investigations have taken him through decades of sightings, close encounters, and experiences of high strangeness. He's delved into cases that defy conventional explanation, where the proximity of the witnesses and the duration of sightings only deepen the enigma. Philip brings forth a compilation of mysteries from his own investigations and contributions from other UFO researchers, groups, and publications. In the labyrinth of the unknown, Philip doesn't advocate for any singular theory or explanation. Instead, he presents a tapestry of varied opinions and perspectives from the UFO research community across the UK and the Republic of Ireland. It's a journey through a kaleidoscope of theories and viewpoints, leaving you to navigate and draw your own conclusions on the nature and origin of UFO landing accounts. This is going to be a captivating ride through the extraordinary and unexplained. Get ready to explore the bizarre, the fascinating, and the unidentifiable. Philip Mantle is coming up next. Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including Focused Life Force Energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. Discover the Veritas Digest series on Amazon. Multiple volumes, each unveiling the truths they don't want you to know. It's more than just reading. It's an awakening. Secure your copies today. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And his website is flyingdiscpress.com. And directly from West Yorkshire, north of England, I would like to welcome my friend, Philip Mantle. Hello, Philip, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Yeah, good afternoon, Mel. Nice to speak to you again. I'm, and I'm, I'm fine, thank you very much. Apart from a tooth, I, I've, I've broken two teeth in the last six weeks. So uh, if, I, if, I, if I sound like I've gone a lisp, I haven't. It's just the... Uh, the anesthetic wearing off from the tooth, I'm afraid. That's okay. Sorry to hear that. By the way, Philip, you and I have known each other for years, and you've introduced my platform to many fascinating authors and, and stories, but I've never had the privilege of interviewing you directly. So I told you recently, Philip, you have to come on and, and share your own story. But before we do, 
I want to dive into the story of somebody else, somebody that you and I know knew. He passed away recently, Calvin Parker. And you mm. recently wrote a book with Dr. Irina Scott, who's been on this show too, Beyond Reasonable Doubt, the Pascagoula Alien Abduction. So before we dive into your story, I want to discuss this story once again. I mean, anybody interested, they can listen to our previous interview. But what can you tell us some of the new findings, new witnesses that are coming out of this very important story? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the encounter that Calvin had with Charles Hickson, of course, um, took place on the Pascagoula River in Mississippi uh, on the evening of October the 11th, 1973. Calvin was 18, almost 19, um, preparing to get married. And Charlie was 42. Their, their families had grown up, you know, side by side. And the one thing both gentlemen enjoyed was fishing. And, and that's exactly what was, was happening that night. They had, I won't go into all the details, but they had a, a an encounter, an abduction experience. Within hours, they were in the sheriff's department uh, telling their story. Uh, the next day, you know, the news had got out, so the journalists descended on the small town. Uh, they were then sent to the hospital for a checkup and then to Keesler Air Force Base. And, you know, the story just grew and grew from there. And um, I first read about this story uh, in a magazine in the in the early 1980s. And, and it always fascinated me, you know. Uh, and then in the 1990s, one of the things uh, I did at that point, I was a, uh, a conference organizer here in the UK. And I tried to get Charles Hickson over to, to uh, make a presentation here in the UK. Didn't quite come off. But I still had the interest in the story. Now, Charlie died in 2011, and uh, I set up Flying This Press in 2015. And a couple of years after that, I, I bought a second-hand copy of Charlie's book that he wrote with a chap called William Mendez back in 1983. And I got the permission to, to republish it. And uh, I just wondered then if Calvin was still alive. I, I looked online. I couldn't find any any obituaries or anything like that. So I assumed he was, but I didn't know. And I thought it'd be nice to get um, an interview with him. So it took me a few months, but I, I, I finally got a contact with him and I spoke to him on the phone. It's very nice, you know, very pleasant, uh, very polite. Uh, but clearly I wasn't going to tell me an awful lot, you know. But what I didn't know, Mel, is shortly before I contacted him, um, Calvin had been at a friend's funeral and they were leaving the funeral parlor or whatever it was. And he signed a little book um, of condolence and the people coming behind him, they saw his name and it was like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, the alien man. And and Calvin thought it was very disrespectful. So his wife, Waynette, who'd been engaged to him right back in 1973, she she kind of scolded him a little bit. And she said, you know, you, you ought to write your story down and tell everybody, because he hadn't told the st his story in, in full. So he said, yes, darling, you know, had no intentions of doing it, Mel. Then I came along, and he mentioned that to me. He told me this, you know. And I said, well, I, you know, I'm a publisher. And I said, if you want to get your story straight, Calvin, the only way to do it is not let someone else write about it, but you do it. 
So he said, okay, on one condition that the, the manuscript he wrote, there were to be no changes to it, no editing. So I agreed. We published the book and off it went. And what it did, Mel, I think, you know, back in 1973, a lot of news stations sort of made fun of Charlie and Calvin, which I found out later stopped some people, you know, going forward. Uh, but this time around, you know, the atmosphere had changed. People were treating Calvin with respect, you know, and interviewing him were polite. So what that did encourage others to then step forward. And um, I'll, get, I'll give you an, an example. Cal, Calvin did a, um, a book signing in the town. And a gentleman came up. Uh, can I buy a book, Mr. Parker? Yeah, sign it. Thank you. Only as he's leaving, this gentleman said, oh, by the way, I saw the UFO that night. And off he went. So we had no idea who this chap was. We didn't have a name. However, fortunate for us, um, someone was taking photographs. And we had a picture of this gentleman buying a book. So I put it on social media, just asking. I didn't say why. I said, I'm just looking to find this, this gentleman and speak to him. And it was a lady in the, in the library in the town said, I know who that is. Uh, I'll ask him if, if he can speak to you. So he said, yes. Turned out to be a gentleman called Lewis Lee. Now, Mr. Lee, uh, on that night of October the 11th, 1973, was working in the shipyards on the other side of the river. And, and he was a crane operator. And he said, Philip, as soon as I got in my crane, I could see this darn thing out over the river. And he said, I've never, ever seen anything like it in my life. And he described it as almost diamond. It had this white bluish tint to it. And he said it was almost, you know, transparent. He said it was mesmerizing. And he watched it for some minutes, Mel. And the only reason he took his eyes off it is because his colleague down below is shouting, you know, come on, what are you doing? You know? And then he said, when I look back, it had gone. And, th and this, this made me laugh. I said to Mr. Lee, well, did you report it to anyone? And he says, Philip, this is 1973. There's no Ghostbusters to call, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he says, I, I told my family that I didn't keep it a secret, but he said that that was about it. And, he, you know, I, I passed his details on to my colleague, Dr. Irina Scott, and she interviewed him at length on the telephone. So, you know, Mr. Lee's in the book. And um, that's just one example of, of witnesses that kind of half came forward, said, I, you know, I, but we, we tracked him down. And um, one of the criticisms back in 1973, of course, where is the location where Charlie and Calvin were fishing is not an out-of-the-way spot, Mel. It's right next to Highway 90. It was a bit you know, untidy in those days, but now it's, it's you know, it's all being cleaned up. But there's a huge, great uh, bridge goes across the river with traffic on it. And people rightly said, well, why has no one driving over the bridge said anything? Well, a gentleman did contact us. He's called Mr. Anderson. And he said, Philip, I was driving over the bridge that night with my wife uh, in the car. And he said, i I saw this blue thing flying, but really, really low. It was down below the bridge. 
which is pretty much metal, exactly where Charlie and Calvin were. And he says, I thought it was so low it was going to crash. So the next day, uh, Mr. Anderson went to visit his aunt, who lived down by the river. And before before he, he could say anything, she said to him, you never guess what I saw last night. And he said, I might do. So his aunt had seen it as well. And Dr. Scott and I have been involved in making a new documentary uh, with a, a UK production company. And uh, Mr. Anderson was interviewed for it last year. So we put a little comment on social, on his own Facebook page. And, you know, there's comments on, underneath it. And there was a lady with a completely different name. She said, I saw it that night. And uh, I contacted her. And she said, I was putting my children to bed. You know, it's about nine o'clock-ish. And she said, I went to close the curtains. And she said, our house overlooked the river. And she said, I saw this blue thing. Now, this, this lady was a cousin of Mr. Anderson's. So she didn't know of his, his sighting and he didn't know of hers. So she's in the book as well. And, you know, this this is just how it went on and on and on and expanded. Some people did step forward. Some just made a comment on social media and we tracked them down. Some we tracked down completely. You know, they had no idea we were, we were looking for them. And, um, you know, every single one of them is in the book. Just just last week, a gentleman who doesn't want his name mentioned him, but we call him Mr. E. Again, he said he'd just driven over the bridge and was just coming off it when he saw these strange lights. You know, so there's even, you know, people still there reporting things to us. And that'll, that'll just give you some idea. And it's all in the book. We put everything, every sighting in the book. We haven't changed anything. We haven't edited anything out. The only couple of things, we may, may have changed people's names at their request. But most of them, like I said, it's a different different era now, uh, different, different atmosphere. Um, they were quite happy to use their real names. And some of them are coming to that age as well, Mel, you know, that they couldn't give a, uh, couldn't care less what anybody thinks. This is what I saw and that's it. So that, that'll just give you a, a few examples, really. This is just a, an incredible story. And I mentioned this to you before many years ago. I was able to purchase the collection of this couple, an elderly couple who passed away, and they wanted to find somebody interested in the field. So they sold everything they had. And among all these books that I have, two of them are from Charlie Hickson, signed and autographed by him. And at the time, I didn't know the case. And then Calvin Parker came along. And this story seems to be evolving to the point that, am I right in saying that somebody said that there might be a Hollywood movie production about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sadly, you know, Calvin uh, died on October, sorry, August the 24th. Him and I have become very, very close friends. Uh, I don't mind admitting I cried when I heard he died. He was a, he was a real character, but an honest man. And um, one, of the, one of the things that we decided to do was to try and spread the story. Calvin wanted to leave a legacy, and that legacy was his story. Now, I did, I did warn him. I said, if you go down the, the dramatization route, i.e. a movie, then it might not be 
entirely accurate because sometimes they will have to alter things purely for a you know a production purpose of course ask Travis Walton yeah so I said if if you don't want that hap- that to happen then don't do it but we had a producer who contacted us he spoke at length to to Calvin over a, a long period of time making copious notes and I mean I I've, I've seen a a screenshot of his desktop <laughs> and the different icons. And of course, as the story kept growing, then he he had to change what he was writing. And uh, so this particular producer, he wrote a, a four-part TV drama series. And I've read it, and it, I would say it's about 90% accurate. Um. The reason for the other 10% is he's had to condense things to fit. You know, the important things, but he condensed them. And I understand that. Uh, He then also um, worked with two professional screenwriters. They're actually brothers. And they have written a one-off movie screenplay. Again, I have read it, and it is very accurate, I'd say, about... 95% 95% accurate, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but then, of course, all the writers went on strike. So you weren't even allowed to talk to these people, which I understand. You know, I, I used to be a trade union uh, officer myself. So literally today uh, I have sent emails to the people involved because the writer's strike is now over. And... We, you know, maybe we'll make some progress with that. I, I don't know, but it, it is there. And sadly, Calvin won't because I, I, I pulled Calvin's leg enormously about wearing a tuxedo. You know, if we got opening night, and um, he could still wear his fishing cap, you know, but he'd have right. to wear a tuxedo. And I, we had great fun laughing about it. So um, who knows? But in the meantime, you know, our new book is out. We have a graphic novel. Written by other people, not me, uh, and the the documentary is is finished. It's just in the editing stage, and Calvin was interviewed for that. Of course, he was ill at the time, but it, thankfully, he managed that. And um, who knows what might happen next, Mel? It would be fantastic, and because um, it it's it's such a great story, whichever way you look at it. If you look at it purely from an encounter perspective, but you can also look at it. The difference between the drama series and the movie screenplay is that the drama series uh, went on to tell Calvin's story and how traumatized he was and how this affected his his marriage and his children and his life in general. The screenplay doesn't do an awful lot of that. It mainly concentrates on what happened that night. That's the difference. Um, but so many witnesses have come forward. Perhaps maybe one or two of those might make it into the screenplay, or you know, or an or an, an amalgamation of them. You know, mix, mix a few together and have it as one person. Don't know. That that's not for me to say, but um, the possibility is there, like, like, and we just have to keep our fingers crossed. And that's important. What you said that the fact that they have to remove some personal stories because of the time constraints that those documentaries have, but at least they're not in, hopefully they won't be embellishing or, or sens- sensationalizing in this story. But again, rest. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.